Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories, brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Johnny T. And my guest today is Andrina Sawyer. She's an author, a business strategist, and a diversity advocate. Originally from Freetown, Sierra Leone, her and her family survived the civil war that left thousands dead and untold numbers maimed and displaced, and they moved to the United States. Andrina uses those cues of authenticity and battle-tested principles to inspire audiences to embrace their past, own their present, and maximize their future. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Johnny. I am charged and encouraged. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here on our show. Really encouraged to have you here. Tell me about your experience in your home country. That must have been quite a thing to go through as a child. And I know that you have a strong faith in God. Did you have that faith in God during that time? And did it help you through that? Or was that something that developed later on? You know, it's funny because my first encounter that I remember with God was in Freetown. My family and I came when I was nine years old. But I remember the call to salvation at our church was called Evangel, must have been maybe about seven years old. And they said, anybody who wants to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, come on up. And so I made the walk up and needless to say, I didn't know a whole lot about what was happening. I just knew it felt right. And so I, I made that decision when I was seven. And then when I came to the United States again at 15, I rededicated my life. Um, but going to war at nine, it's interesting because you don't remember a whole lot, but you remember the hard transitions, like moving from one continent to the other, seeing your family struggle and having to start all over, having to adjust to these like new cultures and this new way of doing life. One of the hardest parts about war is the fact that I haven't seen a lot of my family members since I was nine. And so war is not easy for me at nine years old. I think I was sheltered and protected from a lot of the hardship of what comes with that. But again, it just leaves a mark on your life that you can't really quite explain all the time because it's just really difficult. And there's so many different parts of it that you have to process as an adult. I remember writing journal entries when I was 15 and feeling the Lord kind of calling me and setting me apart from my friends. I remember what that felt like. I remember it being a very emotional experience and a very difficult experience because a large part of me wanted to fit in. I'd been bullied since I was nine years old and I was the African girl in the class, the new girl in the class. And now at 15, I'd started to kind of assimilate and conform to the culture, but I was still being called to be different, this time spiritually different. And so at 15, I remember the experience. I was at a youth convention with my youth group at the time and another call to salvation. I went up to the altar <laughs> and I just remember Johnny just crying and just crying and not having the words, but knowing in my heart that the Holy Spirit was doing the work. So all the decisions I've made, deciding not to smoke, not to drink, not to be sexually active, all of a sudden, these were no longer about performance. It was like a deeper, I want to please the Lord. And that's what's compelling me. It's not just about looking different, but it's really about making the Lord proud in my high school and in my neighborhood and in my community. So it wasn't an easy decision, but I remember having peace 
that I now understand the scriptures talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I knew that the Lord was pleased. But that's why we like to tell people about it. Yeah. And which was another thing. I was lucky enough. There was a, a ministry on, on my, in, at my high school where I found a couple of people who were living the same lifestyle and going through the same journey as me. And we used to want to evangelize all the time. And so a bunch of 15 year olds, you're just odd and, and weird. But there was something on the inside that I could not contain. The best I could do was just invite my friends to youth group with me and hope that the pastor did a better job of articulating <laughs> why they needed Jesus than I did. I couldn't be quiet about it. I could not. It was a lot of peace, a lot of joy. But you know, you say that maybe the pastor could have uh, told them the story of Jesus better than you, but they can't argue with the experience of how your life would have changed. Your friends must have asked you questions about that. Oh yeah, they did. I was actually, I was nicknamed the peacemaker because they decided that because I didn't curse, because I didn't do a lot of the things, my life was different. So it was fun and games until a big decision had to be made. And then they would come running to Andrina. Andrina, what do you think about this? Or Andrina, would you pray for me about some of these things? I remember when the Passion of the Christ came out. Mm. I was in high school at the time. <laughs> and a lot of my friends wanted to see it. My classmates wanted to see it. And so I ended up kind of organizing something with my youth group. But they would come because there was something that was different. So anything relating to religion, to Jesus, the curiosity about spiritual things, they knew I was there. Whether they liked it, accepted it, understood it, they knew I was there and I was intent on living it out. So I know you talk a lot about faith and purpose and how those two things intertwine. I had my ideas about that, but how would you explain that? Purpose. I think purpose is what we're called for on this earth. A lot of people are kind of consumed with, which is, does my occupation live out this purpose. But even if you are not in an occupation like a business owner or a pastor or a missionary, all of us are called to do things like love our neighbors, show forgiveness, show grace. And I think there's purpose in that. I've devoted my career to that, to making sure that I represent God in the marketplace and to encourage anybody else that's intent on doing that as well. I think that's a key given for many, many years. Skeptics have always said, oh, yeah, I know this guy or I know this girl and they're a Christian. I see them in the bar with me and I see them doing this. and I see them doing that. You know what? It's a decision we have to make to live consistently every day and not just in society, but even in our own families. Yeah. You know, we have to be the same person that talks out on the street or talks to our coworkers, same person at home. Live, like you either live it out or you don't. I've definitely struggled with that. And it's it's in those struggles that I'm reminded of my humanity. So when I want to get too pompous or act like I'm perfect, I'm reminded that no, Jesus Christ is the only perfect man that walked this earth. And you are sinful and you need the daily renewal of grace. When the Bible talks about mercies that are new every day, I need that. How do I navigate that? I cry out to God. And it sounds very churchy and it sounds very lofty, but I really do cry out to God. Depending on where I am, sometimes I I need to repent and say, Lord, I've let you down. I've disappointed you. And I need for your grace to come and just overtake me. And then sometimes when I want to just kind of shrink back, I remember someone asked, do you ever get too churchy at work? <laughs> and I had to laugh and I say, yes. But what people don't understand is that salvation was more than a response to a call to, to the altar for me. There came a time where I literally 
felt like I could not breathe. I had suicidal ideations. I lacked a lot of things and I could feel the grace of God in very tangible ways. And so that's what compels me. And anytime I feel like I'm moving off of that path, I have to cry out to God and say, God, help me to not forget the times when I was so desperate and nobody else understood. And you were the only one that was present in the room. I remember um, a youth pastor, when I first got rededicated my life, said to me, you're the only Bible that some people will read. And that changed evangelism and outreach for me. Evangelism used to be about having a tract and asking people, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven or hell? And then I realized, well, scare tactics don't really keep people on the straight and narrow, right? It just keeps them afraid of going to hell. And so you have a lot of performance in their walk with God and God doesn't care about performance. The Bible is very clear. And so now when I internalize and remember, I'm the only Bible some people will read, I have to be authentic. And if part of that authenticity is me admitting my flaws, is admitting where grace saved me because I was incapable of getting it right myself, then I tell those stories to people. And I'm still not perfect, but it reminds me that God is sovereign and he is God and I'm just not. And that's part of the testimony. I believe that honors him as well. There is such a difference between religion and relationship and having that relationship with God. And I know just over the past couple of years for me, it's changed as well. Not that I had religion before, but just moving into more experience of relationship with him. But yet those times when we fail and we stumble or whatever it might be, and you talked about that presence of God's grace in your life again, how is that tangible for you? Because I know a lot of people would say, well, how would I know if God's speaking to me? How would I know if God has heard my prayer? Can you personally kind of describe how you tangibly know that God has heard that cry from your heart and he's kind of spoken to you? Or do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah. I think there are degrees to it, right? I think the most obviously is if you pray a prayer, God, I need a hundred bucks. And 20 minutes later or two days later, someone calls you and says, hey, I have a hundred bucks for you. That is clearly an answer prayer. But then there are some times where we're crying out to God for something and he doesn't give you that thing, but he does give you a peace in the midst of you asking or in the middle of that struggle. And you know that that peace could not have come from anyone else because you didn't share what you were going through with anyone else. That's a very tangible kind of experience where the peace of God is very real to me. For me, the idea of grace is like my entire being, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's me thinking about where I could have been coming from Sierra Leone. There's nothing that makes me better from the girl that was shot and killed in the war or the person who had their parents killed in war and became an orphan. So I think about the physical safety and the physical manifestation of grace in my life. Then I think about spiritually salvation. The last two years with COVID, I think all of us have had these existentialist moments. What is life? (laughs) (laughs) What is the meaning of all of this? Then spiritually, I'm grateful to God for the grace of having my eyes open to see that this is not all there is to my existence. That whether disease or famine or violence Mm. or war comes, there is a safety in the net of what Christ offers us. So if COVID wipes all of us out, this world is not the end. And to me, spiritually, 
that is again the manifestation of grace and then we're talking about daily living like the fact that COVID came and it didn't wipe me out or the fact that people lost businesses and I'm no better than those who lost businesses and though my business went through some difficult times grace saw fit that a grant came through And so I literally cannot escape it from the everyday kind of, I just breathe again. That's grace because there's no guarantee that I should have had that breath to the bigger kind of experience of God, you saved me from war. You saved my family from war. You assured me eternal life according to my faith. All of those things kind of point to grace for me. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Oh, absolutely. It makes sense. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer that the things that we see around us are so temporal and we need to focus on eternity. The point in my life, I look at my life as like a a work people call Wednesday, the midweek hump. You got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you're heading towards the weekend. Oh, you got a couple of days at the weekend. Well, my life, I'm already past the midweek hump. I'm very focused on doing things that are going to have an eternal impact. And I think whether you're young, whether you're old or anywhere in between, that's so important to walk your Christian life out that way. Because when all of this passes away or we pass away before all this passes away, like you said, we're going to step through that very thin veil to eternity and we're going to be standing in front of our God. Absolutely. I think it's just everything that's happening right now is a reminder of the fact that it's all temporary. If a pandemic doesn't remind you of that, I don't know what it'll take for us to get it. I was talking to a friend of mine recently about America, you know, I'm in the, in the States, is moving toward this kind of post-Christian culture, and they hate God, literally despise mm-hmm. God. And as Christians, there's a lot of wrestling because we don't know what persecution could look like in a couple of years in the United States, even though there's supposed to be all this freedom. But regardless of what comes, everything, every piece of it is temporary. God, you do as you will, by your grace, keep us strong and keep us focused on you, but it'll all pass away. The same people that are rejecting you now at one point embrace you enough to put you on their currency. Man is fleeting and you've been the only constant for all of eternity. Keep us. <laughs> I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about having that relationship with God. Like it really doesn't matter what happens, blessings or not cursings, but blessings or trials or tribulations, whatever it may be. As long as we're grounded in that relationship and that love for God, yeah. what else matters? Nothing yeah. else matters. That's so good because that really is the case. Nothing else matters. During the pandemic, I think we saw the worst of it. I remember scrolling through Facebook and hearing about a family where the husband and wife both passed away from COVID. And you encounter death, death, death everywhere. And so you realize here today, gone tomorrow, all of it is so temporary. Business here today, gone tomorrow. Buildings here today, gone tomorrow. Only what's done, like the word talks about um, in Christ will last because it literally all fades away. All of it. Now, you've also become an advocate. So tell me a little bit about that. How does your faith express itself through those activities as an advocate? I became an advocate, and I I feel so funny using the word advocate because I think of people with signs and (laughs) marching the streets, and I'm I'm not quite there, but my life, I believe, is is advocacy for women of color in business, especially in faith-filled spaces. And this really came from a pain point in my life when I started my business 11 years ago. I was 25 at the time, 
And I found myself in rooms where I was the only one, even in Christian settings. I was the only woman. I was the only Black woman. I was the only person under the, a certain age. And it hit me that that's not what heaven would look like. That's not what I believe heaven would look like. And that's not what, what scripture illustrates to us. My heart for advocacy and representation really came from the fact that I think the church in some ways has done an injustice to representing Christ when it comes to diversity and representation. I think it's awesome to see a certain group of people in leadership, but I wonder what would happen if we had more representation in places of leadership. Perhaps social justice issues would look different. The church would become once again, kind of the leaders in those conversations because they would know what it feels like rather than just, I hear that it hurts to see. So just put it plainly, I've been to some churches where there were no black men in leadership. Part of the conversation, the social justice conversation in the US for the last two years has been Black Lives Matter. For a lot of people of color, it's painful to see police brutality. But when you're at a room where there are no Black people at that conversation about what can the church do to address these issues that are very real to part of its congregation, I think the approach to solutions are different. So I became kind of an advocate because I think it's important to have men and women of color who can say, listen, this isn't just a new story for me. I've experienced this. I have friends who've experienced this. And because of that, we need to make sure that the church is represented when these laws are happening, when stories are being told. I just think representation matters to God. And if we're going to be leaders, I think that we should reflect that. And I'm all for a diversified church. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. It's interesting, though, you talk about leadership because the Bible says your gift will make room for you. You can force fit anyone into a position. It doesn't matter who they are, what color they are, it doesn't matter. You can force fit them into a position to say, because we need more of this or that. But if that person doesn't have that gift or that calling or that leadership mantle from the Lord or whatever it is, that's not a good fit for that body of Christ, right? So I think what's really important is for all of us to send the message out that, look, find your purpose in God. And that purpose will make room for you. And we'll support you to find that purpose. We'll pray for you. We'll dive into the word together. We'll ask God to open doors. But I think we really need to let God be in charge of that. If we try and do it in our own strength and our own ways, it's going to fail. But if we completely lay it at the foot of the cross and say, okay, Jesus, here's what your word says. Our gift will make room for us. Help us to get there. It's interesting that you say that. And I, I totally agree with you. Leave it at the foot of the cross. I think my, my challenge is the spiritual parts of our church communities, but then there are the natural parts that we're called to be good stewards of. Part of the consulting work that I've done, right, with organizations and ministries is developing cultures that are exclusive or are inclusive. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I've seen it, uh, Johnny, where people spiritualize community all day long but there are no action steps that move us toward inclusion. I've been to churches as a Black woman that are predominantly white. I tell my friends all the time, including my friends of color, those were some of the best churches and models I've seen of community to this day. Like I've moved around to different states and the color has had no bearings in some churches. 
Mm-hmm. But then I've also been in churches and communities where because there was no, let's say, let's call it cultural sensitivity, people would make comments about like my skin or my hair or during the election with Donald Trump, they would make culturally insensitive comments that would unintentionally move people outside and alienate people. And so if I'm a person who feels like, my man, my gifting could be a blessing here, but I'm not emotionally strong enough to handle racism or insensitive comments, guess what? I'm taking my gifts somewhere else. And so I agree with you. I think my heart for this advocacy piece And I'm so hesitant to call it advocacy because I think there's a thin line, right, where it's like like just militant and almost ungodly. But there's a part of it that I really do feel like is godly and and, and is something that God wants us to do, which is let's call it out by name. Evangelicals have a bad reputation in the United States for having institutional racism. And it's not because there aren't a lot of good Black evangelicals or Latino evangelicals out there. It's because there's a culture that's been man-made and reinforced over the years that almost pushes people out, not always intentionally, but doesn't even allow their gifts to be utilized. And I think that's what my heart is for. It's not to shame the church. It's not to shame a denomination, but to say, I think we could do a little bit better with creating cultures that include everyone, especially the people who have a story to tell that could help us bridge the gap between the races and the cultures. We had a friend tell us a few years ago, he said, uh, you know, we don't ask people to check their IQ at the front door. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Yeah. But God says in the word that in the end times, he's going to shake everything that can be shaken. And we're seeing that because COVID has allowed churches to shut down some permanently but but god is thriving in spite of that like as much as the enemy tries to stop the true gospel from spreading god finds a way he finds vessels to use and he uh he's just so awesome that way so let me ask you this we're almost out of time it's gone by (laughs) so quick i know there's lots we can talk about but we're almost out of time so if somebody came to you and said i know that you're one of those christian people What would you say to them? Tell me one thing that you would tell them about God that you believe would impact their life. The first thing I would say is, yes, I am one of those Christian people, and I am very proud of that. (laughs) And I would say, if you are a believer, I encourage you to stay, to just hang on and, and be steadfast. I know that it's hard right now. I know that culture is pushing and rushing us to be anti-Christian, but I believe that God sees us and I believe that God is going to honor our faithfulness to him and to representing and living out authentically. If you are not a believer, I really do encourage you to try out God for yourself, to look beyond, look at everything that's happening right now in the world and just be aware that all of this will fade away and only what's done in Christ, only what's done with him and for him will last. So I encourage you to give him a try. That thing that's deep, deep on the inside of you that can't be satisfied by money or anything else, he can meet you right there and he can meet that need that you have. Amen. Well, that's awesome. A lot of truth in both of those to the believers and the unbelievers, for sure. Same message for both, right? Put Christ first in your life. Thanks so much for being on the show. I hope we can do it again another time. And God bless you and, and everything you do. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. 
Telling the world. 
I hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.